and from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast, Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. Support for WERU also comes from Bruce Parley Incorporated, specializing in custom-built staircases and also fine-finished carpentry on yachts, trolleys, etc. since 1998. In Trenton at 479-4269 or brparley at gmail.com. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. It is a good morning here in down east Maine, right at the peak of summer. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. And all around this wet world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your Rusty anchors and dinghy sailors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. We're here for an hour of a marine-related talk of many different dimensions, I'm sure. And it is a call-in show, too, for uh, add another dimension or two if you'd like to. The number to call in is 1-866-625-9378. What's current, Mike? We were uh, just last weekend down to the Maine Boats and Harbors show. Wasn't that fun? Uh, no, Maine Boats and Homes show. Yeah, right, yes. The we, Bo- we left Harbors out now. The it, magazine is still by, yes. Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors Magazine. And Harbors Magazine, and it's now the uh, Maine Boat and Home show down to the Rockland Harbor Park. Uh, Doesn't matter what you call it, it's fun. Yeah, we hosted the uh, uh, Boatyard Dog, uh, World Boatyard Dog Championship. Uh, Zola won again this year. It's a two-peat and uh, setting up a dynasty for uh, Zola the Wonder Dog. (laughs) Uh, Golden lab that comes with a a gold and red cape. A cape, yes. Yep, and uh, has won two years in a a row now, obviously uh, setting up for a dynasty, the Zola dynasty years. uh. But uh, here's the point. I know the phone's ringing here, and we'll answer it in a second. Uh, uh, One of the features they had of the uh, uh, show this year was a small boat love-in. I I went to the love-in at the boat show the other day, and uh, we got a call-in thing happening here this morning. I keep... My, I keep bouncing back to one. I want to go back to the love-in, you know. Oh. How about a love-in this morning? Well, yeah, we could do that, yeah, too. Yeah, I hung out, hung out with the Chickawaki Ice Boat fellas. Uh, right, talk, yeah. Talk cold love with those boys, uh, you know. Talk, talk about hard love, yes. Yeah. We do have a, a caller. We said earlier we are dinghy sailors, I believe. Uh, this oh, we is, answer the phone when it yeah, rings, please. I, I believe this is another dinghy sailor. Yeah. Did you even give the phone number yet? I, I did in the beginning, but we'll give it again, one 625 9378 We have Jim on the line. Good morning, Jim. 
Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Welcome to Boat Talk. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So uh, you, I believe, are going to talk about shellback dinghies. Let's start with just what a shellback dinghy is. Well, it's, um, well, full disclosure, I have yet to build one. Uh, the ones that I sail uh, were built by my father and uh, friends around Brooklyn. Uh, so I'm truly probably not the best person to talk about the intricacies of, of building a shellback, but it was designed by Joel White, uh, who uh, was out at the uh, Brooklyn Boat Yard. And uh, I believe it's just a very easy build boat uh, out of plywood. And uh, a lot of people uh, have started to build them. And there was a course offered at Wooden Boat where folks uh, built them. And uh, we've fully gathered people from around Brooklyn and Newport, Rhode Island, and upstate New York. And we're having a regatta every year, basically. A shellback regatta. Now, we got to point out, too, Joel White is not only a world-famous uh, boatyard owner and uh, boat designer, was the original host of this Boat Talk radio program along with Maynard Bray back in the oh, day. I, I did not know that. Yes, That's they excellent. they uh, didn't think it up themselves. They were approached by some people at the radio station here. And game, we did it a few times. And uh, because they weren't really radio people, they were game for it, but the, it didn't uh, really catch their imagination. Uh, they did it a few times and... And then uh, they asked Alan and I if we would do it one time in the summertime, and went well, and we're still here. So, but we're not a pimple, <laughs> not a pimple on uh, you know the resume of uh, Joel White there. So, uh, like I say, a man of of uh, rare talent and the shellback dinghy. Just again, one of his, you know, you write one hit song in your life, okay, or, or design one. <laughs> Uh, what's the other one, of course, I'm thinking of, the other little dinghies? Uh, the uh, Nutshell? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I well, mean, just... So either- apparently he built that one first. He built that one first, and then everyone loved that boat, and then uh, that dinghy, and uh, apparently uh, he then tinkered more and then came up with this 11-foot design. And from what everyone says, you know, it's a very easy boat to build, uh, you can get you know plans online, or and I, I believe there's a book out there that Eric Dow wrote about building it. And um, I, I think from what everyone says, it's a great boat to build. Uh, we have one guy from Vermont who spent the uh, winter building his uh, his shellback in his living room. Uh, <laughs> basically, he built the boat in his living room, and of course. He named it after his wife because she was so nice to allow him to build oh, it wow. in the living room. <laughs> yes, quite a nice wife. I was going to say he must have been single, but I guess not. Yeah. No, no, uh, save the marriage. <laughs> Jim, Jim, uh, of course, these things are, are hard to uh, make up on your own. It's all been done before, but the trick with building the boat in the living room is the, the disaster is if you don't finish it, okay, and it stays in the living room forever. <laughs> think becomes about, a table. Think about that. That's yeah. right. Yes, that's right. That's right. Happen, that will happen with some boat building projects uh, inevitably. Now, what do we do at the Shellback uh, Regatta to have fun? All these people. How many people are we talking about getting together? Well, uh, it, it's grown over the past. The, the first uh, Shellback uh, Regatta was in uh, 2009. It was in Brooklyn, uh, and the, the Wooden Boat School uh, put it, or Wooden Boat Publication, excuse me, put it together. And uh, my father sort of 
got people coming around in 2009, and every year, about I think the, the largest we had were about 20 boats. And uh, last year, we were in upstate New York. Uh, it sort of travels around, the regatta travels around between Brooklyn, uh, upstate New York, and Newport, Rhode Island. They are the Newport, Rhode Island guys are the newest sort of group that has uh, had a regatta down in um, down in Newport. So it's sort of every year we travel around, and this year it's in Brooklyn. Where do you go in New York State? Canton? Uh, actually, uh, Shimon up on it's a Crescent Yacht Club huh. up on the Finger Lake. Oh, and okay, sort of over yeah. in Western it's New a York. Nice drive, not in the Adirondacks. Okay. Down. so we we um uh look at each other's boats we uh uh, socialize must have each other's boats and then uh go sailing we spend a lot of time talking about the uh the dinghy (laughs) about the shellback uh and we praise uh joel white for his his design and uh they love we love just sailing around in them and uh we uh we do have you know uh rules but uh we joke that all uh all, all, everyone who's upset about sailing, we leave that out on the water, and then we come back ashore, and we're friends. Right. <laughs> we, the way it should be. Do we have a championship shellback uh, race? We do. Yes, we have. It's once a year, and uh, we have a trophy, and we have. Uh, I want to say this will be the tenth annual. So, uh, some of the people that wanted Brian Reef in the uh, at his Reef uh, boat. He sure. won the trophy a couple years, and then uh, just last year, John Horton, who was from um, Newport, Rhode Island, he won it. So we got to win it this year in Brooklyn, off, out at uh, Atlantic Boat, and uh, bring the trophy back to huh. Brooklyn, Maine. <laughs> Are the racing people still cool? I mean, sometimes uh, people who race boats can get out of control and get all, uh, <laughs> No, you know it, what I'm yeah, saying? We're, we're, it's, yeah, it's for the love of the boat, for the love of the design. And just to enjoy the boat, it's not, it's not serious at all. I mean, we do, you know, there's a starter, and we do have the flags and buoys and all that stuff, and a chase boat. But it really is just to have some good time out there and enjoy what Joel designed. So this is a two-day event, is that correct? Yes, yes. We usually race. Uh, we race all day Friday, and then race all day Saturday, and then we have an awards banquet at the Brooklyn Inn, and uh, we sort of add up you know they're they're short races because the course isn't that big so we try and get in at least uh 11 or 12 races during the day wow if i didn't have a shellback dinghy but i was curious about uh such a thing and and the people who associate with them could i uh, come around and hang out yes absolutely uh we'd love to have you guys come out and in fact if you um shoot me an email uh people want to partake we, we do have extra boats we can sort of you know get a couple extra boats we know there are a couple out there that we're hoping to get but um yeah we'd love to have someone come by anyone come by like and, say uh, open open to the public yes yep. bring the public all over to atlantic boat come on down uh-huh. do you advise bringing your own life vest <laughs> um i think we can get some we we have okay. i think we can you can but i think we can we can drum up some. There's That's definitely good. some extra dinghies around that aren't being used. Sounds like a not not hard to hang out with bunch, actually. You know. <laughs> yes. No. They're all uh, the ages. We we joke about that. Our ages are between eighteen to seventy. <laughs> oh, I could beat that. So, um, 
is there a barbecue involved too? Uh, there's we're not no we don't have a barbecue. We we, we will supply lunch for sailors and guests and uh, for both days and then. Uh, um, Saturday night we'll have the awards banquet at the uh, Brooklyn Inn, ah, well. and there's be a the menu and all that. Yes. But no, no barbecue. But Brooklyn Inn is idea. fine. I should put that on the list. So September, what is it? Twenty eighth and twenty ninth. Twenty eighth and twenty ninth at Atlantic Boat, which is in uh, Fly Brooklyn. Point, right? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Done. Brooklyn. Uh, basically, uh, my father built a house in Fly Point, and then uh, every Wednesday night uh, at the Brooklyn uh, Boatyard, they used to race shellbacks uh, at, in the evening, and uh, so he built it to take on the races and go down there and sail, and that's what he did. And then uh, a, a couple people on Fly Point built shellbacks as well, and uh, lo and behold, the regatta started in 2009. Yeah. What could be better to get together with a whole bunch of dinghy people? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, kind of funny story is uh, my father has passed away a while ago, and uh, I'm not the best sailor, uh, full disclosure. And uh, uh, I, I basically flipped out of the boat, and a couple guys sailed by, and they said, wouldn't you rather play tennis or something else <laughs> than go out sailing in the dinghy? Croquet, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's what I was kind of alleging. Uh, you know, uh, racing can ruin a good sail like golf can ruin a good walk, you know, sort of thing. That's was what right. I was alleging that's before. Absolutely. got to be cool no, about we're it. All, yeah, we're all, we're all good friends. It'll, all be right. a, it'll be a wonderful time. We just want to enjoy and be out in the water and sail the shellback. Beautiful. Well, Jim, uh, if people want to get more information on shellbacks, where would you say should, they should go? We have a, a website, uh, shellbackregatta.com, and uh, uh, shellbackregatta.com, and uh, we have some pictures and uh, some videos and uh, just all the information to register for the regatta, and right there. Sounds like fun, Jim. You might, might even give us a call during the next show. That'll be before the regatta, too. So, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. More power thank to you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I, I, I promise you I'll do a little more research to talk more about the shellback. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Jim Peterson. Thank you. Birds of a feather will flock together. Any excuse to, you know. Uh, get together and talk about your boat with other people that, that uh, I mean, how much fun that other people got a boat just like yours, too. It is, that is a good thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I'll tell the quick story about the, the shellback dinghies. And the wooden boat school did have a course where you could build your own shellback. And I believe it was a 10-day a course, so maybe only been a week. But it obviously takes a, only a short while to build these dinghies. Uh, I have a, a nephew who went to that school probably 15, 20 years ago and built one of those dinghies. He lives in Florida. He took it back with him to Florida and put it in a little small local boat show down in Florida. And a pair of, uh, of what I call the blue-haired ladies came by that were looking around. And one of the comments the ladies gave to the boat was, oh, look at that. They're making those cute little boats out of wood now. Yep, well, and I'm thinking if you wanted to get radical about uh, being the shellback champion, you could build a carbon fiber shellback thingy with, you know, (laughs) ultra-light materials, yeah, with a whippy, uh, bendy, uh, you know, uh, perfect rig. uh, 
you know, uh, we could optimize everything there, I suppose. And That'll blow the $100 per foot uh, rating for yeah. the cost of a boat right out of the water. Yeah, but again, people do get obsessive sometimes when it comes to uh, – yeah. um, and and once again, I had a nice time at the uh, uh, main boats and home show uh, at the Small Boat Lovin, talking with the Chickawaki Ice Boat fellas. Cool guys, huh? Uh, very cool guys. Thank you very much. And uh, straight man. So, uh, yeah, but uh, one of the great things about uh, ice boating is um, you can let somebody else go for a ride in your boat, and uh, it's fun to watch them uh, drive your boat, and even more fun when they come back and get out of the thing and are jumping them all up and down going, yeah. oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, that happens every time, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's a cool thing. But we have another call, so let's go to Fred from Tennis Harbor. Good morning, Fred. What's up? Good morning. Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm sitting at the public uh, boat launch and dock in Tennis Harbor, and there's a bazillion uh, dinghies of all sizes and shapes and everything at the at the dock. It's 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 flossum and jet sometimes. And I love uh, looking at them as, as both structurally and aesthetically. And uh, I'm wondering if the shellback is the one is a design with the uh, real notable ribs inside. Does have frames, I believe. Yep, and uh, it's a fulsome design. I think of it kind of like a. Uh, again, it's got some volume to it. It's uh, rounded. It's uh-huh. definitely puffy. Um, I think the ones I've seen anyway are cold molded, so there's sort of a minimal rib. So it might, I guess maybe there's I more. I might be one. wrong. Might be thinking about the nutshell. I might not be thinking well, about anything at all. It's hard well, to tell. We'll have to go online to look up uh, shell backs ourselves. Yeah. Then. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, it's, it's foggy down here, and thank you so much for the program. Um, if I get more organized, I'll uh, do a, uh, a program on our uh, low-power radio station down here called Plain Talk. Spell it any way you like. And uh, um, my boat, my boat is floating high. So thanks so much. Literally anything can serve as a dinghy, Fred. When you got to get from here to there, a lot of things will serve. Um, was just reminded, uh, it was a year ago, uh, just did the delivery again, and, and a year ago we um, uh, got to the dock and there was a boat next to us that was damaged. Uh-huh. And it had just been in a marina with a tornado. Okay? <laughs> and and it, it had uh, damage on deck uh, yep, uh, from uh, flying things in the marina, but the good story she told was that they had a club with a swimming pool at the marina and it took the dinghies from the marina and filled the swimming pool with them, but not in an orderly manner. <laughs> try, and imagine, try, try and imagine that picture. Huh. Yeah. Suck the water out probably too. So anyway, yeah, yeah good times. Uh, flying dinghies is uh, the picture I was having there. So anyway. Oh, my Lord. Hollywood would have to pay a bazillion bucks to reproduce that. Yeah, yeah. and again, we don't like go places in boats that have tornado warnings, but this is a new new era, so. It sure is. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Fred. We have another call. Thanks for the report from Tenants Harbor. We'll probably get another one next month. So let's uh, go to Phineas Sprague down in Portland. Good morning, Finn. Good morning, and how are you this morning? I'm it's kind very of foggy good. down here. Is it? No, not here. Well, we're out, That's I'm unusual. Out the Cape, so we're huh. we got the the fog comes in. It'll burn off uh, farther inland. I just received a uh, 
an email from me with an impressive photo of a of a very large travel lift. At least it looks very large in the photograph. It looks like the the tires are must be at least eight feet tall on this thing. A three hundred. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful ton. thing. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, I'm sure it's a, not a very cheap thing too. We. Uh, Mike was just telling me about a little article you wrote about the travel lift and the analogy to an inchworm. Oh, well, you know we, you know we're our business is like an inchworm. We stretch out, and we got the head way out above behind the butt. And uh, once we get the head stretched out about as far as we can, we got to catch up with the butt. So we're inchworming along. So now you're putting that uh, travel lift to work and starting to bring your butt back, as it were. That's right. And and the problem is you got to navigate that tail end to get up to the head. Yeah. And then you can stretch out again. Then so, how then how much bigger is this travel lift than the than like the first one you you ever had? When well, we we had a one fifty that was at four hundred Commercial Street, and and the. Uh, uh, the site was uh, uh, been very successful for Gowan Marine for years, and and um, uh, it, the boat started to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and and um, you know really the commercial boats are are, um, are are growing in size, and that's the trend. So you know it seems that the smaller boats. Um, can be taken over the land, and you can go anywhere with them. But the big ones you can't take on the road. So, as the marine industry changes, you know we we have to sort of go with it. So, probably a, a, an extension of that is that you're going to need a, a fair amount of land to park some of these big boats. Well, on. we we did, and and um, uh, we're yeah we're we're. Um, we're having, you know, a, a transition on the waterfront in Portland, and the city decided they didn't like a boatyard on the western, on the eastern end of the waterfront. So they uh, they told us to move our boatyard, and luckily there was a brownfield site to the upstream that we uh, uh, were insane enough to to think we could fix. So the um, so we we actually uh, end, ended up with about sixteen and three quarters acres. Mm-hmm. So about about six and a half more acres than we had originally, and it's a much calmer, uh, better location for a for a boatyard. Then you mentioned commercial vessel vessels uh, uh, getting bigger. So are the yachts. Are you uh, going after the bigger yacht market as well? Well, I, th- I think that the uh, um, there's a real difference between uh, the way we uh, we look at at boating and say Front Street, uh, who's got an even bigger travel lift than we have. Just who I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, and you know we we uh, we have a lot of customers, um, and we prefer to do the smaller, quicker jobs. Um, and and have a lot of customers rather than you know uh, have a, a a large crew working on a, on a few boats uh, for a long time. So it's um, so we we want to turn the boats around quick, do the shave and the haircut, 
get the commercial boats back in the water and out out doing their job. And uh, uh, it's it's more like a job shop rather than than a um, uh, than a manufacturing. Yeah, good way to put it. So it's um, you know the the uh, uh, the working waterfront in Maine is you know under huge pressure. Um, I don't know. You know, it's sort of like boiling the frog, <laughs> and uh, you know they won't let the frog out of the pot. And they, you know, every time they turn the heat up on it, they say, "Don't worry about it. We really care about you." And, and eventually, you know, they're going to eat the frog. So we we had the question posed to us a little bit earlier, and probably not real hard yes or no answer. But the question was: Is the uh, commercial waterfront up in uh, where it used to be up on near Exchange Street, is that pretty much gone forever? Well, you know, I I mean, I don't I I don't like rolling boulders uphill. And and um, you know, the I mean, the Maine's his history has been a maritime state. You know, it's, it's and, and it will be so as long as an old guy can row a dinghy from South Bristol to Booth Bay faster than he can drive. And But the reality is that, you know, we used, we've got 3,400 miles of coastline. And every single harbor, every single nook and cranny and cove has either had a dock on it or had a... Um, you know, a place where the person was earning some of their living from the ocean. That's really been our heritage. And who the hell decided that we can only do commercial marine-related activities in 25 miles on the coast of Maine in the big towns where all the tourists want to come down to the water and are willing to pay 150 bucks a month for a parking spot. You know, lobstermen can't put their their uh, the traps on a hundred and fifty dollar a month parking spot, and and so the uh, they've created an artificial scarcity that makes it too damn expensive for you know the the commercial uh, fisheries to to compete, and and I don't think they're going to ever win in that scenario. Um, you know, you can take the private property owner and decide that it's a public good that they should uh, carry the burden of, you know, the artificial scarcity of land. But in the long run, you know, that they won't build anything and, and it'll turn into a parking lot. So the, the whole thing is a little bit nuts. Uh, they ought to free up the, uh, the ability for the commercial people to find uh, new places that are less expensive to go to. Right. And and uh, until they do that, they're just boiling the frog. Right. I call them... And they won't let them out of the pot. <laughs> yeah. I call them uh, gentr- gentrification-free zones. Well, boats are... Well, it's, it's rea- that's reality. And, and uh, you know, the, the, uh, the effort that we've made in Portland is sort of like the last gasp on the waterfront. Uh, there's no more land in Portland that you can <laughs> use for uh, commercial operations, and uh, and the, uh, the the fishermen and the the 
historic uses are suffering greatly from the the artificial scarcity. You've got to have a boat's a specialty item, and you've got to have support for it. You've got to have infrastructure. Was just uh, delivering a boat. Uh, we were outside of uh, Long Island, New York, in the middle of the night. Shared the water with ships that were uh, approaching uh, New York uh, City from the south, and one dragger, one dragger out there south of Long Island. And uh, think about that one dragger. He's the, about the end of his fishery. Who, uh, you know, where's his dock, his market, his uh, mechanic, his, uh, you know, uh, the boatyard that services him? Like I say, they're not there uh, uh, making money off him and all his friends, uh, you know, uh, as, as uh, things go on, the infrastructure uh, uh, disappears. And even if that dragger can catch a fish, he's got nowhere to, to come back and, and be serviced on the land, you know. Well, that's, you know, and, and the reality is that if you create this artificial scarcity, then whoever is there servicing them that has got to compete with, you know, and ec- the economics that are huge. Love the condos uh, and, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, the economics of that are huge. Parking garages. And, yeah. And, uh, um, the, you know, by forcing the the commercial fisheries into the same area, that has got that huge uh, economic pressure from the land side because everybody, every tourist wants to go take, get right down on the waterfront in these towns. And they've got huge dollars, and they're willing to spend huge money. And, and uh, the, the commercial side of it really can't uh, fight with that. And, you know, as I sailed around the world, I saw places that, you know, like uh, in Athens, they they pulled the triremes up onto the beach when they were running triremes. When the boats got too big and they couldn't pull them out of the beach, they moved down to Zaya Marina, which is a little fortified harbor. And then when they got even bigger, they went around to Piraeus. And th- those opportunities, you know, are really not being given to the to the commercial fisheries and and uh, commercial boats there's you know everybody says no you can't move well um that's the way the world works unless you've got this craziness and uh you know the effect of the craziness is that that uh, we're losing our our fisheries finn we're looking at the uh talking about the scarcity of the land resource for the uh, uh boats uh Let's flip it and look at it the other way. The world is mostly water. There's more coming. It's good to be boat people. Well, absolutely. You know? But we, we need to find a way to, as a, we need to get this uh, frog out of the pot. we got to think out of the box a little bit. Oh, couldn't agree more. You and know? Uh, not accept the, the, um, the status quo. You know, you can't do, you know, you can't get out of this box, you know, the, they whisper into the kettle down at you, saying everything is going to be okay as they put in another brick sidewalk. And the uh, lead thing on the news is wild weather again, and, and I guess the lesson is it's better to be flooded in your kitchen than have it on fire. At least you can swim yeah, out, well, you know. Flesh is an amazing gift. And, yeah. Uh, uh, the only complaint I have is there's been no, uh, there's no manual that came with it. <laughs> well... Fen, you you wrote a uh, you know you do the uh, 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 boat builder show in the springtime, and you wrote a um, 
uh, little memo last spring, and it said, among other things, uh, Portland Yacht Services is undergoing a huge metamorphosis. It has been an excruciating experience. I liken it to the way an inchworm moves forward, a uh, huge stretch, and all the time we got to catch up with the head. Um, what was your favorite excruciating part of, uh, uh, like, say, growing your boatyard there? Well, you know, there's a guy named George Bernard Shaw, and he said the reasonable man adopts himself to the world, and the unreasonable one persists in trying to adopt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on an unreasonable man. <laughs> and 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 uh, the the world. Most people are not navigators. Uh, most people aren't trying to get somewhere. They're trying to to live in the world that is around them and, and adapt to the realities of it. And so, when you try to change the world, you scare the living hell out of them because they don't know what they're going to get. And as a consequence, they really try to, you know, damp down the change. And and um, they're afraid of the change. And so it's, it, when, you, when you have a vision and you try to do something, um, uh, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the group of people that, is, that are trying to keep the world the same is hard to overcome. And and uh, that doesn't make anybody a bad person, um, but it means that having the vision uh, uh, it creates huge hurdles um, that you have to overcome. And so that, and, and it's like navigating on a boat. You know, you set the first to Tahiti the best you know how today and then in four and a half hours the tides change and the data comes in and you got to change course again but you never sort of forget where you're trying to go you might have a squall and you have to run off in front of it but when the squall sky clears you can go back to where you want it to go and so it's it you know by setting the vision out there uh, um, you you really set yourself up for um, uh, difficulties because the, you know you, either you get there or you don't, and uh, so I, I think that's what the issue is. You never know what squall is going to come next. Hell of a trick to be a uh, uh, ultimately practical person who fixes things like boats and a philosopher, isn't it? You know. <laughs> Uh, Finn, you uh, also wrote in your memo last year that you were looking forward to the new yard being finished, and you have for many years been of the opinion that to promote the boating industry from new customers uh, and possible career opportunities, there needs to be an East Coast small boat celebration you talked about last spring. That helps us, yes. Yeah. Have we been uh, thinking more about that, Finn? Well, we're working on it. Um, uh, it's going to be uh, September 22nd and 23rd. And uh, it's the main small craft celebration. We're working with the Traditional Small Craft Association uh, off Center Harbor, um, uh, Clint Chase, um, Wayne Fleet School, uh, Sail Maine. Um, and people can bring small boats down if they want to sell them. 
uh, we'll have a sort of a flea market for, for small boats. We want to get young families uh, uh, to see that, that boating doesn't have to be really expensive. And, and my feeling is that you, you, don't, you don't learn about boats unless you wear one when, when you're young. And the smaller the boat, the better to, to get kids to, uh, to have boat sense. So young families, I'm hoping, will be, come in, try a boat out, maybe buy a kit boat, build it in their garage, go explore the salt marshes, ponds, and have the young people, young kids, you know, uh, not be afraid of boats and be at home in them. Because the reality is that we can't hire somebody who can't stand up in a boat. And by the time they're 18, they're not, and if they've never been up standing up in a boat, they'll, they won't choose a marine career. And small, the whole generation. and small boats get people touching them. It's nice to go stand on a big fancy yacht, but uh, there's nothing like being in a small boat where the feedback loop is butt boat paddle, you know? Absolutely. And, and it's sort of like riding a bike. You know, the small boat gives you feedback and, and, and through your butt and your feet. And, and um, if you don't learn that in a small boat, there's you never can feel it in the big boat because the big boat is too subtle. Um, but if you learn it in a small boat, and, um, you'll always have it because you, you know exactly where to look for it. It may be really small, uh, the feedback in a big boat, but it's there uh, if you know where to look for it. And so the young kids, you know, you got to get them in the smallest boat possible, and uh, they got to wear it. And then uh, they'll be boaters for the rest of their lives. And also learn the, learn the lessons of the ocean, which are foresight and constant vigilance. And, uh, you know, if they can carry that with them for the rest of their lives, they, they'll probably do pretty well. So once again, this uh, uh, small boat uh, celebration uh, last weekend in September. Um, and yeah. Next, next to last. Next, okay. Any information uh, people can access about? Uh, 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 it's info at small. Uh, if you want to email us, it's info at smallcraftcelebration.com. And there's, uh, you, can Google, you can Google uh, Maine Small Craft Celebration. And uh, we're looking for, this will be the first year, so, you know, we're, we're going to sort of feel what, what everybody wants to do and what they get excited about um, and, and uh, try to make it a, an annual celebration uh, uh, on the Equinox, just opposite the boat show. Nice. Uh, not only a hands-on, but a butts-in boat show, your butt in the boat. Yeah, when people, we're hoping that there'll be a lot of boats in the water uh, from people that have boats that they'd like to sell or convinced to uh, buy a kit, so they so they can uh, so people can come in and try them, and you know hopefully we'll have uh, a group of, of these little frosties which I support for teaching young kids um, sailing uh, right there where you can the parents can see them. And uh, maybe a high school regatta, and then definitely Wayne Fleet's going to do some rowing shells, and uh, we'll have an area where the where people can uh, try out the the boats that are right on the dock. 
Cool. We'll let you go in a second, Finn. I think we got somebody standing by on the phone here. But I got appreciate your time and, and interest, Alan. We're going to have to get you up here live one of these days, Finn. One, one more question for you. We're talking about small boats. You've got a fantastic big boat. You own a nice uh, schooner, don't you, Finn? I do, but it's asleep right now because I, I mean, my guys wouldn't appreciate it if I expected them to do all the work. <laughs> that was the question. Are we getting any uh, uh, a lion's whelp, I believe it's called? Are we getting any? Uh, so, again, uh, not this season. Not this season. No? Maybe next. Uh, well, I've, I've still got some places on my bucket list. All right, man. That's a pretty boat. <laughs> yeah. And All right. So thank, thank you. Thanks so much for your interest, and and I hope people will embrace the small craft celebration and trying to get the next generation of kids on the water. Very get good. them away from the the iPads and cell phones yeah. and TV sets. You were with get you on out, that. Get them out in the water. Yeah. Thank you All very right. much, Finn Sprague. All right, Mike, as you said, we do have somebody else on the line, I hope. I believe uh, this is Toby from the Owl's Head Transportation Museum. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Alan and Mike. How are we doing today? Very good. Thanks for standing by. Hey, no problem. It was uh, fun to listen to uh, that conversation, having uh, grown up on uh, the coast of Maine and and my entire family uh, living in the uh, commercial heritage, uh, um, our lives going back well over to the 19th century. It's it's uh, it's a situation that's affecting you know a lot of people close to home and close to my heart that we've all lived with. So it's um it, it's a legitimate topic. Well, Finn has not only zoomed in on the practical aspects of of running a boatyard there, but it seems to me he's zooming out on the bigger issue of uh, you know uh, boats and people on the coast of Maine and. Uh, Somebody's got to be uh, taking the big big picture, you know. Ever right. vigilant, as he calls it. Yeah. yeah. What's happening down to the Owl's Head Transportation Museum, which is a wonderful place to go yeah. visit well, any, you know. Well, this weekend, this weekend coming up is our largest fundraiser, which is um, the New England Auto Auction at the Owl's Head Transportation Museum. Uh, this is the, uh, I believe it's the 41st annual uh, New England Auto Auction. Uh, and we, um, I believe, uh, we have a fine collection of some real high-end quality boats um, that are also going to be included in, in the New England Auto Auction. We usually, um, you know, we don't really seek out, you know, consignments of boats because um, it doesn't really, um, we're not really right on the water, so to speak. But um, this one gentleman, we sold some vehicles for him. He's a fine supporter of the museum. He has a, uh, I would say, a world-class collection of quality uh, boats and um, the four of them are going to be offered for sale uh, this weekend, and they're in the museum right now, so you can come take a look at them. Even if you just want to see high quality boats, um, these boats you don't see uh, very many places. I looked at them on your website too. There's some very nice pictures there. That is uh, Owls Head Transportation Museum dot org. Is that correct? Uh, OHTM dot org. Yep. You're going to have to describe the boats a bit for me. Yeah. I can't see nothing right here. Yeah, we can do them. Well, uh, the boats are coming from, we're calling this the Wall Green Collection. Um, the, uh, the gentleman, um, and they're coming from the Winnipesaukee area of New Hampshire. Uh, the gentleman who owns these boats, a wonderful guy, uh, Jim. Uh, his grandfather was a founder of Walgreens, um, so that's been part of his family heritage. Um, and these were four of his boats that were in his collection. Um, he originally came from the Midwest, you know, Chicago area, um, and hence that's where Walgreens started. So these four boats are extremely unique. Um, the first one I'll talk about, which was at the Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbor show uh, this weekend down the Rockland Harbor, is a 1916 Ellie Fry 30-foot launch. 
Uh, her name is Black Duck. It's still sailing under her original name, Black Duck. Um, Ellie Fry Company, um, some people may not have heard of, but the Ellie Fry Company was a one of the premier high-end uh, boat builders up in Clayton, New York, up in Lake Erie uh, at the turn of the last century, up until about 1920. Uh, and Black Duck is the largest of its class uh, left, the Ellie Fry's. Um, it's got a long, uh, uh, the, uh, amidships is about where the, um, the steering, uh, is, and it's set up for a pilot and co-pilot, and then there's a large deck in the aft that has wicker chairs and a seating and an oriental rug and custom-built stairs that go down. It's very low and sleek in the waterline, um, and so it's a, it's a classic high-end, high-quality, um, social elite late lake boat for 1916. Um, that you would sit on the back and have your cocktail and you would cruise around the lake. It's a beautiful, beautiful boat. Uh, it really is. It has a very interesting transom, a sort of a two-part transom that has a, a, a hard chine, I guess I'll call it vertically at the center. Yeah, it does. It does. And so people were commenting that, um, you know, um, this weekend at the boat show and, you know, why are they doing that? And, you know, I don't really, I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure there's some sort of a design feature. Um, most of the different transoms and uh, that I've, I've seen, obviously, uh, the ones I love the boat the best are the the classic, you know, sloping down, curved dovetail, um, you know, transom you see on like some really old classic lobster boats that used to just kind of glide along the water. But this one kind of comes out almost at like a um, you know 25 degree angle to a point. Um, and black duck, the name is on one word on each side. Um, and when it's in the water, it's beautiful. It just it's so low. Um, you sit down in it, and and it's just a, a beautiful boat. Um, the other the other two boats are are just true classics, um, and the woodwork on them is amazing. Um, there's um, the night there's a 1926 Chris Craft triple cockpit uh, runabout. Um, her name's Shadow. Uh, the woodworking is just uh, amazing. Um, and again, this is the top of the line Chris Craft for the mid 1920s. Um, you know, the embodiment of the, the, the Roaring Twenties and everyone that had their house on the lake. Um, you know, Gross Point, Michigan. This is the Gross Point, Michigan type boat. You know, everyone along that area had their high-end mansions and they had their automobiles and they had their triple cockpit boats. And it was either Chris Craft or, or Garwood. Um, and we have a 1932 Garwood triple cockpit, 28-foot runabout, um, and her name is Roxy. Uh, and what's extremely rare about this is it's built in 1932. You know, the depths of the Great Depression, this is the highest-end model Garwood boat you could buy, um, and they weren't selling or making many of them because it's 1932 and, and the economy is just going you know, in the tank. So um, this is a, a beautiful um, boat as well. This one uh, is twin-engine, I believe, isn't it? No, this is a single engine. Okay. Yeah, this is a single engine. Uh, this one actually has been repowered. Um, so if it is, uh, and it runs beautifully. I mean, it's tracked at over 60 miles an hour. It's been repowered with a with a 650 horsepower V12 uh, Italian engine. Um, remarkable craftsmanship and everything throughout. Um, and all these boats are restored by um, high quality um, restorers um, of these boats in the Midwest. That's he brought them to New Hampshire when he came from the Midwest. Um, so if somebody wanted to make it back into the absolute purest boat, then you can put the original, you know, um, uh, engine back in it. Um, but it's they're, the pictures are phenomenal, but you've got to see the boats in person to really appreciate them. Because quality and craftsmanship, um, which is something we appreciate along the coast of Maine, the working waterfront wooden boats, um, these boats have it, and they're gorgeous. Um, and then finally, the last boat, which is extremely interesting, uh, and in terms of on the auction block, um, this one um, 
probably might be in the uh, the spectrum um, for buying for more of the the bidders and the, the listening audience possibly. But we have a 1935 Chris Craft 21 foot uh, sport utility boat. Um, what's really interesting about this is there are features in this boat that you won't find in any other Chris Craft except two others. Um, oh come on boat, now, there's a lot of Chris Crafts you can't go talking. Uh, you know. <laughs> No, I can't. There's only one other one, and this is the only one of this. This huh. is Angler 1. This is the twin-engine one, right? This, this is the twin-engine one. Angler 1, there were three boats built in the mid-1930s, Angler 1, 2, and 3, and they were built for the founders of Chris Craft. Angler 2 was built for Jay Smith. Angler 1 was built for Chris Smith, the founder of Chris Craft, and this was his personal fishing boat. It's got dual engines. Um, it's got built-in live wells under one of the seats to put fish in. It's got a custom uh, rear rudder control so you can sit in the back and put the um, the stick in, and um, you can steer from there while you're trolling. Um, you, um, there's a lot of features on it that just would not have been done on any other boat, from the design of the, the cockpit to the windshield to there's a special mounting where you would put a, a, um, a bracket to hook a tow line on because apparently Chris Smith wanted to be towed out to his fishing spot and then released motor all around and then they'd hook onto him and pull him back <laughs> so he wouldn't raise fuel. Um, so um, it's it's it, it's a really rare piece. Uh, it's a really unique piece and it's and um, and it's set up. I mean, dual engines and they're not small engines. There are dual four-cylinder engines in a 21-foot boat. Uh, they just wanted to build as much redundancy into it so that no matter what happened, he would be safe to get home. And this is to go fishing. The other ones, uh, especially when I see the uh, uh, boats from back that period, they separate. They uh, tend to have separate cockpits. Yep. They, they segregated the crew yep. and and the uh, guests. Yeah. Uh, uh, now we would have it all open and all sit together, but yep. uh, this boat's not meant to, uh, again, uh, segregate anybody. It's meant to go troll for fish. Right. It's meant to be, as it's called, that's why they call it a sport utility. Uh, in terms of um, the Chris Crafts that I've seen, it really looks, there's a lot of uh, elements to this that looks like a 1950s Chris Craft. When you start to see the divided cockpits kind of go away, and it's kind of a more of an open sport utility boat, um, for the family, for uses of that, um, it is really set up to go from you know um, from the uh, control mechanism, from the steering wheel, back to the um, uh, the seat back in the stern. Uh, and you know, I also kind of think it's set up to be all run by one person because I really kind of envisioned that you know they all built their own boat. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised me if Chris and Jay and whoever had the other one, they went out fishing together and they just kind of all had their own boat riding around. It's set up for one person to run the thing. Um, the chauffeur. Yeah. 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 Now, Toby, I'm guessing that this auction is open to the public, but uh, in essence, you're looking for specialty buyers for these boats, aren't you? Yeah, it is It is open to the public, and in terms of any listeners, whether they like boats or automobiles or motorcycles, um, a preview week starts tomorrow, and it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday's preview. The auction is Friday and Saturday. We, we, get, to dri- we get to take test drives? <laughs> uh, well, if you're really serious about something, then what we'll do is we'll go through the process. Um, we will run vehicles for people if they're really serious about doing their due diligence to make a proper purchase. Yeah. Uh, and then we vet them out if, it's, if a ride is possible, but museum staff, you know, we There'll drive be some, the car. There'll be so. some large de- deposits possible Yeah, as well. you hold their credit card. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, absolutely. Yeah, we don't. We don't. Uh, you're taking all the fun out of the joyride, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one other boat I'd like to quickly ask you about, though, is the Barrelback Chris Crass. Is that from the same owner too? Um, Barrelback Chris Craft. I, I don't think we have a Barrelback Chris Craft in, in, in this in this office. It's uh, well, I got it, a picture over here. Is it's that Shadow? Something Mary. 
Um, no, that's not. Helen Mary. No, I'm not familiar oh, with that one. That was on your website, but okay. That's a nice maybe, picture. Maybe, oh, maybe that was, oh, that was from last year. That was the, um, that might have been from, that was last year's sale. Okay. All right. That, that Pretty, was a beautiful, that was more on the 20, uh, you know, 24 foot range, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was 20, 24, somewhere yeah. around there. Yep. Uh, tell us again when the auction's happening, Toby. The auction is this Friday and Saturday, the 17th and 18th. The boats, the majority of the vehicles will be going on the 18th. Preview opens Wednesday. Uh, and come on down to the Alice Transportation Museum. You don't need to be a bidder. You can pay regular museum admission and walk around and see all the vehicles and uh, be a spectator of the auction. If you do wish to, uh, to register to bid, you see something you like, then you can um, register to bid right here at the museum when you're here. We're uh, not going to go to the car place, but I'm assuming the cars ain't all modern and, and uh, run-of-the-mill uh, uh, usual auction items either. Yeah, well, we have a, a real, I mean, there's a lot of uh, really high-quality, classic vehicles, uh, good collector vehicles, some really nice, fine, what I like to call hobby cars, which is it's not a perfect Concours restored vehicle, but a really great-looking vehicle that you could buy, drive, enjoy, and have fun and drive with no problems. We do have some late-model exotics. Um, you know, we do have a 2004 Ferrari, um, but that's the, you know, and we even have, um, um, you know, some, uh, some older, some vehicles that we would think, aren't unique are starting to become collector items like we have an 89 dodge charger ram charger like the two um two-door suv those are starting to become sought after items with low mileage and good condition you know so um collector car markets are shifting as our boat market you know owl's head transportation museum that gets to cover a lot of stuff in the title there doesn't it yes it does yeah good job so very good, Toby. This has been a very interesting talk. And uh, I will say again that I put some photos on the boattalk.org website, but your website has many. Yep. And that is the ohtm.org. That is correct. Right. So thank you very much, Toby. It's All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a nice day. Right. And we do have one more call. We have Frank over in Lemoyne. Hello, Frank. We only have a couple of minutes left. What's up? I think next program we might want to concentrate on low-end rowboats and low-end uh, waterfront property rather than just all the high-end stuff. That's just my sourpuss, grumpy statement for the day. Is there such a thing as low-end waterfront property anymore? I <laughs> from our standards, it's probably not. <laughs> I'm not sure what that would be. Uh, probably anyway. east of Calus. You want to uh, possibly pick it up just uh, at the height of the flood, uh, possibly <laughs> pick up, yeah. you know. There's a plan. There are new, we'll go in on a piece together, all three of Newly motivated sellers every day now, uh, properties that never flooded before are starting yeah. to uh, more than once, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I just read uh, or saw online, actually, you can actually buy property on the moon now. Okay. <laughs> Talk about yeah. waterfront property. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you might want to go there. Well, we did uh, reference the uh, climate change thing here this morning uh, a time or two, and and uh, also uh, like to keep the narrative kind of going. And my favorite um, editorial writer in the Bangor Daily News shows up on Tuesday morning, Gwyn Dyer. He's a Newfoundlander and uh, writes out on London. And uh, Gwen's always in on Tuesday. Today, the um, editorial's last chance to avoid a, quote, hothouse earth. And what this is about is there is a new uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences out. It's a magazine. And uh, there's an article by 16 scientists uh, 
It is entitled Trajectories of the Earth System in the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene being the time of, uh, you know. Uh, we're starting right now, yeah. Yeah, man uh, running the earth here. Um, uh, and uh, briefly it says, what the authors are saying is that global warming driven directly by human emissions of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases is only part of the problem. In fact, it's the smaller part. The real threat is the unstoppable natural feedbacks triggered by the warmings that we have caused that will take us up to the killing temperatures of a, quote, hothouse earth. They list 10 of them, the biggest being the loss of Arctic sea ice, the melting of the permafrost zone, dieback in both boreal and Amazon forests, changes driven by warming in ocean circulation system. The uh, Gulf Stream is slowing down for the first time that uh, we've been keeping track of measuring it. Just triggering one or two of these feedbacks could cause enough additional warming to set off others like a row of toppling dominoes and take us up to those lethal temperatures within the century, the idea being that climate change does not proceed slowly and calmly upon its uh, multi-year mission of, uh, you know, things are going to be different. It goes in leaps and fits, and uh, storms and fires are the evidence in a big part. We're all going to hell, aren't we? Well, uh, if we can see it coming, uh, at least you can do something about it and kind of foolish not to, wouldn't it be? Yeah, it'd be foolish not to. Just saying. They're piping us out, Alan. Yeah. Thanks to Amy down in the engine room. Stay tuned for On the Wing with Johnny Too Bad coming up next. I used to buy the catches of fish and take some home to Lizer.